Hello! Welcome everybody to our second episode of the Educating Blind Bears podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm moderating today's discussion between multiple students from across the state about some differences that they've experienced in college, um, and specifically different types of college. So we have representatives from California Community Colleges, California State Universities, University of California, and a private university, Stanford. Okay, so we're going to have everybody start by quickly introducing themselves and what they're studying and where they go to school. Um, I'll start uh, since I'm moderating. I'm (laughs) Kyle Garcia. I go to San Francisco State University, and I am a computer information systems major. I'm Cricket. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a senior at Stanford University majoring in communications. Next year, I am going into the master's program in journalism. Hi, I'm Ethan. I go to the University of California, Berkeley, and I am an intended business major. Hi, everyone. My name is Lindsay, and I am a liberal studies major at California State University, Long Beach. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Nikki. I am a political science major at College of San Mateo, and my intention is to transfer to a uh, UC, hopefully UC Berkeley is my ideal campus. Hello, my name is Shelby Felter, and I'm a student at Cal State University, Long Beach, studying multiple subject teaching credential and going in, hopefully, into master's in early childhood education. Thanks for introducing yourselves. I'm excited for today's conversation since I also do not have the perspective from all these different schools myself. So we all will get to learn from each other. The first thing I'd like to go over um, is the process of getting signed up with and the materials and whatnot that you need from the disabled student services or whatever they call it at your particular school. So Nikki, would you like to go ahead and start by telling us a little bit about how that experience went for you? Sure. So uh, how it worked for me was, and that for the record, I do attend a community college. Um, how it worked for me was when I actually signed up for community college as part of the application process, which I did in my senior year of high school, they asked if I would be interested in, in uh, doing disability services or be part of that because of my disability. I said, yes. Um, and how it worked is really, I actually attended an in-person orientation right before the start of the coronavirus pandemic. And that's where I got the information and actually was able to book a counseling appointment for the future. And I had a counseling appointment with a a counselor from the DRC or Disability Resources Center. And I spent a lot of time with him discussing my plan for uh, for my course load, my major, what classes I would take, the accommodations I would take. And what happened afterwards, basically he had me fill out a couple forms about the accommodations and alternative media. And he also put me in touch with the alternative media specialist. And I discussed with her uh, the textbook needs I would want, and as, as well as what uh, file formats uh, ideally I wanted for my uh, documents if they need to be converted specially. Um, so that's basically what happened for me. You mentioned textbooks briefly, but especially yes. with the pandemic and not being in class and not physical. Um, how have how has getting the textbooks been looking for you? 
Sure. So it's been looking pretty good. So how it works for me at the community college level is uh, the professors, at least a few weeks in advance of the course, publish uh, their textbook lists in the bookstore. And what I end up doing for each is I send the, D, the Department of Rehabilitation, the DOR here, a uh, list of the books I needed, the book basically it's like the title, the author, the ISBN, and the price, and they send me a receipt. And as soon as I get that receipt, I do send it off to the alternative media person uh, for conversion. And for the record, um, ahead of this receipt, the receipt that, uh, that I get, the alternative media people already know what textbooks I need because they apparently have advanced access to it before the student, uh, but they can only start converting and sending it to me once the receipt is in their hands. So that happens a couple weeks before the course. And so far I've actually had pretty good success with uh, having the textbooks on time and having the chapters I need in the order that I need them. Great. Glad you're getting all the books that you need. <laughs> Thank you. Shelby, would you like to tell us a little bit about how it looked for you in the CSU system? Yeah, very similar um, to the community college. I just went to um, the disability center at my school and made sure that they were aware. Um, I sent them a copy of all of my syllabi in advance. So that way they would know um, all of the books that I would need and when I would need each chapter um, and like all the PDFs. Um, also, I take dance classes on the side. So making sure that all of my dance videos were um, gonna be um, audio described for me to make sure I know exactly what's going on during the videos. And um, just for me, what the main thing was just making sure that right when I knew I was gonna need something to send it over to them. So that way they would have um, the most amount of time to be able to do everything that they needed to do to be able to get back to me on time. Yeah, getting that information to them as soon as you know it is definitely something that's important because um, I've had that experience as well where it can take them quite a bit of time sometimes to you know find a copy of the book or make a copy of the book in a format that's good for you. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethan, have you had any differences in the UC system or has it been more of pretty much the same? Um, so for the UC system, at least in my experience, it seems that... Um, it's a little bit more like they kind of don't really know that you're accepted into the school. Like they know nothing about you. And so the first thing I did was um, I reached out to disabled uh, DSP and I basically, you know, you know, asked like, how could I even get in touch so that I could get myself like, you know, my services. And the first thing I had to do was to like do an intake interview, which I scheduled with, um, the people at the office and I did my interview with a specialist and then my specialist sort of um, <clears throat> asked me like, like very general questions about what my disability was and how that worked. And then I had to um, meet with the alternative media person and um, talk about exactly what I needed. And then after that, I was assigned a personal specialist um, who would be working with me. And then we started hashing out like the very specifics of the accommodations I would need. Um, and there's a lot of them. Like we went through, it, it, went, it took us like almost an hour to go through every single accommodation, which I may or may not need. <laughs> and deciding that was 
honestly quite um, a hassle. It was, it was a lot of like back and forth um, debating whether I would need something or not. And then um, after that process, I had to get on the website and start um, like uh, getting my accommodations and using the website to sign up so that my professors knew that I was disabled. Um, and that was, uh, and I would have like official letters sent to them that would tell them about me and they would click on it before the course started. And that's essentially how they knew I was in their course because signing up for that course, um, they, they're not given that notification, but yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. It sounds similar to my experiences. Um, but maybe a little bit different, especially with the letters being sent automatically through online. For me, that was a much more hands-on process where I had to contact my specific disability resources center uh, counselor who sent them to my teachers. Um, yeah. But yeah, every school has uh, their own different methods for that. Oh, yeah. Um, did you want me to talk about like getting textbooks and actual actually receiving material as well? Or sure. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I have a website in which all of the material for my courses are supposed to be posted in advance. Actually, it's my real um, website and alternative media is supposed to have access to those. And so when they see um, updated assignments, so for instance, they see like a, this calculus worksheet, for example, they're supposed to go and take that um, and turn it into an alternative format for me. And I'm supposed to be able to get it. However, like with scheduling, most of my professors actually are unable to get that two week window, which is what DSP really, um, they, they prefer that. And so many times they don't see it in time. So the moment it comes out, I actually have to go let them know that it exists so that they can go transfer that and make it into uh, an accessible format. And for a lot of the textbooks, um, I basically have to do the, the receipt process. Um, and sometimes these textbooks are, it's different because DOR does not always want to buy them from the school website and stuff because they can't directly access it. So they prefer to buy it from an outside source. And that gets a little bit uh, more complicated, but once they send me that receipt, I can go to DSP and they can immediately trans, uh, make the textbook into an accessible format and I can read it or use it. So it sounds like you had more of an involved process in the beginning, but as long as the teachers upload your materials uh, far enough in advance, then they, then Berkeley actually has a really good system set up for it to for you get those automatically. Yeah for the most part, the problem is that they don't get it up two weeks in advance. <laughs> That's definitely, a, <laughs> I, I know that struggle of trying to ask for materials in advance and then, you know, a professor decides, oh, wait, we're going to switch the order of that or I don't want to put that up two weeks in advance or I didn't have it made or so many different mm -hmm. variables. So how has it looked for you, Cricket, at uh, Stanford? Um. So I was not sure if I was going to get into Stanford. So I reached out to every college that I applied to early to look at their disability services. Um, and I sent emails to all of them and all of them replied except Stanford. Uh, and all of them 
all the ones that replied said, oh, you should come talk to us when you find out whether you've been accepted. Um, so then when I was accepted, I forwarded my original email to Stanford and I said, hey, um, I'm not sure if you got this before, but I wanted to let you know that I have been accepted and I'm looking forward to attending. Um, but can you let me know more about the intake process? So I had to get um, an eye exam and a, um, I got the Department of Rehab to send my, uh, my reports to, um, to Stanford. And I did a nice long <laughs> intake interview asking about my accommodations, um, kind of, you know, kind of like what was described earlier. Um, I have a disability advisor who does not advise me on how to be blind, but instead advises me on what accommodations are realistic. Um, and mine has been fairly accommodating. I know that some people's um, advisors are not, and Stanford is no excuse. Uh, you know, the name Stanford is no excuse. There are definitely people who have, who have not had very helpful um, or remotely helpful advisors. But um, I then talked to the alt format specialist. Um, so shout out to Deborah. Hopefully I got that name right. <laughs> um so shout out to Deborah um and she uh has been doing all my materials for years we use a course site called Canvas and um when I am scheduling when I'm scheduling for um you know a course and the sections for that course I will request that Deborah be added um to the Canvas site so she can see all the materials that we have I always email the professors a copy of my accommodations letter. Um, and then I ask them to get materials to Deborah as quickly as possible. Um, I definitely have had the issue where I don't get materials on time. And um, to answer the question about textbooks. Um, so if a textbook is not available free on Bookshare is a good website because you can get an account free while you're in education. Um, or Bard is another one. I don't use um, it because they do um, primarily audio materials. Um, but if, if a book is not available free, then the um, transcribers can always get an, um, a PDF copy, which they, again, cannot give to you until you show them proof of purchase. Um, so that's what I do. I show a proof of purchase. And then I start getting the book at what's supposed to be the rate that the class gets them. So, you know, that's, that condition is not always met, but they try really hard. So I appreciate that. So it sounds like everybody's kind of had more or less equal experiences with just some minor differences among how each university handles their particular structure of, you know, where you start and who you send stuff to and all that. But overall, we're all kind of getting, you know, similar materials and whatnot in probably similar formats. So this past year has been a bit interesting um, for anybody listening later, potentially. Um, Just a they, bit. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic um, and, you know, all the campuses got shut down and we were forced to go online. Um, so I would like to know. Has there been anything that you found specific um, that you could give a piece of advice on with dealing with the online classes? Um, and this is great advice now, but also for later, because, you know, some people choose to take online classes only or might have an online class that they take in conjunction with their on-campus ones. 
Um, so I'll go in a different order this time. Um, and Lindsay, maybe you could start by sharing a piece of advice with us that you found. Um, I think you already know where I'm going to go with this, but um, taking physics online as a student who uses accommodations um, has been quite challenging. My only option because the online website that we were using was inaccessible was to take an independent study. Had we not been online, I would have been able to take the course with everyone else. But because we are online, that's the way I had to take the course. So at your school, they were unable to come up with any kind of reasonable accommodations to make you be able to participate in the normal class curriculum online in an accessible way. That's really not what I would expect in, you know, this day and age, but oftentimes, you know, I guess that's the reality is that the schools just don't understand how to come up with it. Um, And especially this is something that isn't exactly needed very often, um, particularly for classes like physics of, you know, I don't think they're offered as much online usually um, before pandemic. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a shock to me that this was going to happen, but I mean, it worked out. I'm hoping it's going to work out because um, I haven't finished the course yet, but um, yeah, it was quite a battle. And ultimately that was my only option, especially because I am a senior and I'm trying to graduate in the next month. Yeah, it definitely isn't the ideal option, but at least it seems like it's working for you so far and hopefully things turn out well in the end. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, do you have a piece of advice for us regarding, you know, online classes? Um, yeah, but I would say this translates to whether you're doing it online or in person. Um, you know, now we use like our... Uh, like technology is very prevalent in all of our classes. Like um, for instance, when I was doing environmental science courses, uh, I had like, there were a lot of these, you know, simulation based uh, programs and little exercises that we had to do. And um, in that sense, like it was very helpful that my professors were pretty accommodating and most of my teachers are, but it's just um, knowing that, Although you have accommodations, you must be very active in receiving those accommodations on time or like, you know, in advance and making sure that you get everything. And that comes from you reaching out to your instructors, um, people at your disabilities office, and just telling them, like reminding them, for instance, before exams, hey, like I do have extra time. Could you like make sure to set that up um, before the exam or um you know, sometimes when you turn things in online, uh, you know, once in a while, the computers and technology doesn't work super well. And so you sometimes, you know, double check, triple check, or you like, you know, just communicate with your instructors. Be like, if it's a very important assignment and you're not totally sure that you submitted it, then you just reach out to them and be like, hey, um, did you receive this and this that I turned in? And that kind of gives you like, you know, an e-record that you could, you know, later use as like a trail so that Mm -hmm. if you thought you turned something in and it so happened that it wasn't turned in, it shows that you reached out to say that you did. And that'll be helpful in like proving things and just having a trail for yourself. 
yeah, that's definitely something that's good to get if you can is, you know, evidence that you've, you've reached out to people and tried. Um, and especially if then the teacher says, yes, I got it. And then for some reason later on, they go, wait a minute, I never got that. You can pull that back up and be like, um, well, you told me you did. <laughs> and so having that record mm-hmm. is definitely important because sometimes there are discrepancies later. Um, and then, yeah. as you said, also the, you know, accountability and reaching out on your own is also important since nobody's going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. I would say that, um, whether online or in person, it's really important to try to build trust with the people you work with. And sometimes that involves being nice when maybe you don't want to be, you know, maybe you've told the same professor five times that you need an assignment in a certain format and they're not doing it for you. Well, there's always the TAs. Um, And also the professor is the one giving you the grade. (laughs) So it's important to make sure, you know, that you're not, um, that you're certainly not mean to them in a way that is recorded, whether in writing or, or uh, on zoom. Um, I think that it's always good to build relationships with the university administrators as well which seems um, extraneous, but if you choose to engage in disability advocacy on campus, um, it's important to have an administrator understand the challenges that you have. Um, Because one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that the university has the faculty side of the university and the administrative side of the university, and they're generally fairly separate. So the disability services kind of falls halfway between them. It's a very odd place for an office to be. Um, But if you can have an administrator who knows you, likes you, understands um, some of the challenges that you're having with getting materials on time, then if you choose to go into that advocacy sphere, um, then you'll have them on your side and it'll be a lot easier to get some of the changes that you need to see. Yeah, that's that relationship with an administrative um, personnel is definitely something that is good to have to, you know, so they'll have your back and already know, you know, that what you're asking for is legitimate and something that you've struggled with and not just that you're making it up, trying to make things easier for yourself <laughs> when they were already not a problem. Um, and as you said to the, having that, uh, working relationship with your professors, even if you're maybe have an issue with them is definitely important too, since not only do they give you your grade, but you got to stay with them for the rest of the semester quarter. So you don't want to make enemies with them on week three, and then you still need to <laughs> be in their class. Nikki, do you have a piece of advice for us? Yes, um, I do. And it kind of, Ethan touched on this earlier when it related to the technology, but I'm going to focus on that. Um, I think it's absolutely essential that today's college students, especially with the pandemic and the fact that classes are online, I think some classes will stay online, that students are absolutely up to date with the current technology that that's on the market and that's available and that students should absolutely keep track of accessible and inaccessible uh, websites, especially with related to um, college Uh, portals and any other websites that they use for any other assignments. Uh, They should always check ahead of time uh, to make sure everything's accessible, but, you know, before, obviously before the assignments do, because then you're going to have some issues. Um, But I would also say that even before you get into uh, college, 
say in high school or even before that, if you take any opportunity that's given to you regarding technology, take, um, take the time, learn as much as you can and understand that, yeah, it sucks. And yeah, you might not want to learn it, but you, it will definitely benefit you um, down the road. Especially I'd say this to someone who has uh, uses screen readers on computers and note takers um, apps, be absolutely cognizant of the updates that uh, companies come out with for screen reading technology, as well as uh, some of the note takers as well, because they often address concerns that students have regarding um, inaccessible technology and they often try their best to fix those. So uh, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's definitely something that's obviously extra important now with everything being online, but I'm pretty sure all of us use a lot of technology in the classroom as well. So it's always important regardless. So another thing I wanted to touch on that, you know, has to do with everything being online right now um, is how has everybody been socializing with your peers and not just socializing, but also trying to, you know, work and potentially make study groups and all that kind of stuff. And if you've been to on-campus classes at your current school before, maybe how has that changed? Um, so this time, Ethan, could you start us off? Yeah, I, I can go first. Um, so I actually haven't been to um, campus yet. Uh, I will be at Berkeley next fall. That'll be amazing because um, online schooling is definitely quite a bit of, um, it's tiring. <laughs> it's, it's fatiguing. But um, yeah, so trying to stay like, you know, in touch with peers or like people you knew from other classes and just socializing in general is not as easy um, because, you know, when you're on Zoom, uh, now especially a lot of students have their mics muted and their videos off and, you know, that doesn't really uh, foster a type of environment where people are interacting a lot with each other. But there are some group work activities in which you get to communicate with other classmates and students. And I'd say that's one of the best ways you can sort of um, meet other students in your class. And uh, when you do projects, oftentimes, you know, you share numbers, you share social media accounts and stuff so that you guys can communicate and get your work done. But it also gives you the opportunity to talk to them like outside of just classes or, you know, it gives you the, uh, it gives you that room to sort of um, reach out to each other and to learn about each other in a way uh, in which you would not be able to do otherwise um, during these times. So that's one, one way. Um, there are also like, you know, clubs, social clubs that are still happening virtually. And now I think they're starting to happen more like they're very infrequent, but now sometimes they're socially distanced gatherings where um, clubs can meet and, you know, involving yourself in a club and commitment, extracurricular commitment is really good um, because it takes your mind off school and you can work on something that you're actually passionate about. And I'd say the third thing is that I've been very fortunate to have many teachers who kind of like say at the beginning of the semester that they're going to have these, you know, they're going to have like a discord chat and everybody can join if they like, and they, they offer the opportunity for study groups in which they sort of like put a bunch of students together who are willing to, and then they can um, communicate that way. 
So that's primarily how it's been going for me. I think you you mentioned clubs, and I think that's definitely something that me personally, I always kind of forget about and definitely should take more advantage of, um, especially now. Cricket, to you. Sure. Um, yes. So I have to admit the pandemic um, was a challenge and getting used to Zoom, which is accessible, uh, was still a challenge because it's, it's one thing to send a hugging face uh, to a friend. It's another thing to actually hug them. Um, and so I've really missed being on campus. I am now on campus. It's very nice. Um, but it's also kind of like a ghost town here. Um, so, and we still do have to do quite a few virtual activities. Um, if you are on a campus, there are generally regulations with, uh, as to like who you can hang out with, how many people you can hang out with. And sometimes even like they'll, they sometimes have a curfew or something. Um, so I think it's good to find creative activities that you can do on Zoom. Um, I've even started taking improv classes. I took one last quarter and I'm taking one this quarter. And um, there are a lot of facial cues and other things like that. But I arranged with my professor um, that as long as my as long as my mic is unmuted um, the entire class, unlike most people, I am totally um, capable and uh, allowed to have my video camera turned off. Uh, and this is because it kind of simulates the experience that other students have in an improv class where they have their video on, but they're muted. And so, you know, I get the, you know, the professor is getting uh, an understanding of what's going on with me, also what's going on with them but it's not in a way that I might find invasive. Um, so I, I think that art classes are a little difficult depending on what you're pursuing. Um, but I think that anything like uh, music or singing or improv, um, all of that, there you can find creative solutions um, to that kind of stuff. The one thing that is difficult would be if you're doing scene work with multiple people and the scene is primarily reliant on, on um, them you know, making gestures at you or something like that, depending on like, if you have almost no vision like me, it makes it pretty hard. Um, so, but for socializing though, um, my friends and I would have um, game nights where we could play games. Like um, there's, there's a thing called Jackbox. It's jackbox.tv and they have different games that you can play like Quiplash or there's like a murder mystery dungeon and all of it is online. Um, I think just, the important thing is being willing and able to um, make compromises uh, to have friends narrate things for you or describe things for you. Um, yeah. And then, and of course, just being super creative because there's only so many times you can do Jeopardy, you know, <laughs> before it starts to get boring. <laughs> rest in, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Um, so I think, I think that's a good place for me to end. Nikki. Sure. Um, and for me as a community college student, really socializing has been quite minimal, which I, I, I don't like. I do like socializing. I do like meeting people in person. And I was, you know, for all of us, it's been minimal or non-existent throughout the last year. Um, I have actually had to do a few projects with other students and how that's worked is we've either exchanged emails and done it that way. Or in one of my, in my psychology course last semester, what happened is our teacher said that we had to have a Zoom meeting to coordinate and to discuss our uh, strategy for our project and to go over the material. And the sad thing about that, in fact, is me 
and only the other student, one of, one of the other students actually just showed up and the others did not. And it was unfortunate, but luckily everyone still did do the work and we all did coordinate via Google Docs and finish everything. And I think we got a pretty good grade on it. Um, besides that, socializing, like I said, it's quite minimal. Um, the the re most recent exact example I can think of is in class, uh, in my English class recently, we had a um, set of uh, breakout rooms for activities and we were actually in there for like an hour. And honestly, what ended up happening is, yeah, we did the activities, but we also spent a lot of time just catching up and socializing on how school's been for everybody and how like it's been not seeing other people, things like that. So it was really a true bonding moment. And in fact, actually a test for me as a blind person, because one of the students said, okay, why don't I just share my screen and uh, you guys can see what we're doing oh. for the uh, activity. And I said, I had to say, no, I, I, if I actually cannot see anything. So if possible, could you either, you know, read out loud or type it into the chat? And they're like, yeah, no problem. Um, so it was actually very easy. Uh, but besides that, you know, again, socializing has been minimal. And I've most of the time been talking to my friends that I made in high school or uh, other places as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been difficult. So glad you, you guys took the opportunity you had, you know, when you finish your work to just catch up. Yeah. Um, Shelby? Yeah, um, for me, I've actually been like way busier than I ever would have thought I would. Um, I love being busy. I'm just one of those people. So I've put a lot of stuff on my plate, especially um, transferring to a new school this year. I really wanted to build some bonds and especially because like it, it can be really hard being online, especially like it can feel really lonely, um, especially at a new school. So like Ethan was saying, I really dove into extracurriculars, joined a lot of clubs, joined student government, um, just really tried to do everything that I could to really get involved in as many areas as I could throughout my school. Um, and for my program, like it's very, very group-based heavy. So you kind of have to talk to people, um, which is kind of nice. And luckily I've had an amazing, amazing group this semester. Um, and we actually, because of the pro the way the program works, you end up with a lot of same people in your classes. So kind of like a cohort model, um, which is super, super awesome. Cause you really do become kind of like a family, which I think is amazing, especially when you get into like um, the upper division classes in your, in your major or um, post-grad courses, you really become really, really tight-knit with your um, cohort. And I just think that is super, super important. And especially um, like you guys were saying with the discord and just being connected is just, it's so much better, especially if you even if you are an introvert, um, like I'm someone who suffers from anxiety, but it's super, super important no matter what to make sure that you at least are connecting with people because it's just, it's, it's been hard for all of us and it's super, super important to make those connections any way that you feel comfortable. It definitely is. So for our last question here, um, I wanted to, kind of get an idea of, you know, so out of all of the colleges that you could have chosen, um, how did you end up deciding on where you are now? Cricket? Um, well, <laughs> uh, I 
was accepted into UC Santa Cruz um, on my birthday. It was a great birthday present. <laughs> and I don't know if I've actually received any better birthday presents, honestly. So good job, UC Santa Cruz. I love you. Um, and uh, I was waiting for other ones um, because as much as I think Santa Cruz is cool, um, you know, I was, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was, was aware of all my options. Um, and I was not accepted to Berkeley, um, but they got Ethan. So that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and the next day I got accepted into Stanford. Um, my mom went to Stanford a billion years ago um, in the pre-Cretaceous era. And I don't even know if that's a thing, by the way, I'm not a paleontologist. Um, and I thought that since Stanford offers such general, uh, such generous scholarships, I'm a low income student. Um, you know, so Stanford has a, I, I don't want to sound like a Stanford infomercial, so I apologize, but, um, Stanford has a need blind entrance policy, which basically just means that, um, they look at everyone's application entirely independent of, um, of the family's earnings or of the student's earnings. Um, and so in, in order to make that, um, a feasible policy, they really have to guarantee that they'll find some way to provide people, um, four years of funding. And so they provided me with what has effectively turned out to be almost a full scholarship. Um, I say almost because I applied to a ton of scholarships before freshman year and I made $30,000 in scholarships. I was very impressed with myself. Um, and then it was all gone by the end of the year. So, so I've definitely had to, I've definitely had to pay my earnings. Uh, but easy come easier go. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, so yes, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Um, if, you know, if I, if I had been accepted into Berkeley, it might've been a slightly harder choice for me, but, <laughs> but, um, but yes, Stanford is great. And I think that, uh, while some of the battles for accommodations have been harder, um, that I've really learned to advocate for myself here. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. I probably would have been happy at um, Berkeley or UC Santa Cruz as well, but I think Stanford has been a huge support system um, throughout all of the issues that I've had to deal with and, um, and financially and, and just in general. Yeah, it's great. It worked out. I mean, everybody has lots of choices usually, so it's often <laughs> difficult to decide. All right. So Ethan, could you... Maybe tell us about how you decided to end up where you are. Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny because I, I had the uh, inverse situation as cricket. Um, I was not accepted into UC Santa Cruz. No, I was waitlisted. But anyways, um, I, <laughs> I was accepted into um, some of the other schools. The first one that came in was uh, UC Davis. And yeah, like cricket, I was very excited um, because I think that like after like all these years of hard work in high school and like, you know, everything that you do academically kind of leads to college, right? And so, you know, it, your first college acceptance letter always means something to you, even if you're not going to end up going there. And it's kind of like, you know, a validation thing and it tells you that you're really good enough. And so I was very happy when I... Um, was accepted into Davis. And then um, I waited for the rest of my uh, options to come in. And 
yeah, well, I guess the other ones aren't important, but I did get into Berkeley and I was very excited about that. And then I didn't get into Stanford. So in a way that also made my choice easy. Hence <laughs> <laughs> the rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny how it works so, out just opposite for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally opposite. Um, and so I ended up going, choosing Berkeley. And like the other reason I sort of went here is because I actually live in San Francisco and that's pretty close. It's like about an hour away. And unlike uh, most young people, I don't, um, I don't love going away in terms of like, I didn't have that yearning to go to the East coast or I didn't have that like wish or drive to go, you know, to a different part of the country. So really staying within two, 300 miles of home was a pretty safe choice for me. And Berkeley was that as well. So in many ways it was the perfect choice. Not only did you, I guess, just not have that, you know, feeling of need to run away from home, uh, but it's also generally cheaper to stay close to home. (laughs) So that's an added (laughs) benefit as well. For sure. Um, Since this one is uh, not, um, you know, specific to each type of school, I'll go ahead and ask both of our CSU people. Um, But I'll start with Lindsay. So my choice to go to Cal State Long Beach wasn't that hard because it just so happens that I was already employed with the university before I was a student. So I, when I transferred to Cal State Long, or when I was looking to transfer, um, I applied to Cal State Northridge, Dominguez, Long Beach, and I think LA, I don't remember. Um, and I got into all four of them, but my decision was really easy because I knew that with my employment, it'd be easier to just go to Long Beach because I would have work and school all in the same spot. That's definitely a nice benefit. Um and plus, that way you probably already had a, you know, working relationship with a lot of people there. So not only is it the, you know, the commute difference, but you already had a head start with getting to know people. Yeah, that. I knew the disability process because I worked in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely a great benefit. So Shelby, how did you end up at the same school as Lindsay? <laughs> Um, so it actually started with undergrad. I did the complete opposite as Ethan and Lindsay. (laughs) Um, I originally wanted to go to Hawaii for school. I was one of those ones. I wanted to get the heck out of California. I didn't want to be here. Um, God bless my mom. I love you, mom. Um, she kind of reeled me back in and was like, Hey, uh, you're not going anywhere out of state. You need to stay in the state. Um, so I came back down and realized like, okay, that makes more sense. So I ended up going pretty far as far as I could in the state, um, all the way from Southern California up to San Francisco. So I went to San Francisco state. For two years um, to finish my undergrad. That was amazing. Um, I mainly chose there because of the transportation. I just, I loved being able, the idea of 
oh my gosh, I can hop on the Muni train and be in downtown in 15 minutes. Like the world is my oyster. Like I, I love this. <laughs> um, so I, I went and did that very expensive, but I don't regret any minute of it. Um, it was amazing, but I actually lost um, a big majority of my vision, like my last semester of my senior year, um, two weeks before finals. So that was really, it took a big gash into me, um, sent me back down into reality. So um, I took a gap year. I still knew I wanted to go into teaching and go into post-grad. So um, took a gap year to learn Braille, learn mobility skills, because I never had done that. Um, and I wanted to be somewhat close to my parents um, for assistance, but still a little far away. So I went an hour away um, to Long Beach. I actually had applied to Long Beach the first time and didn't get in um, and then got in now. So I am super, super blessed. And I'm actually hoping to continue on with my master's there just because I, it's my home now and I love it so much. So, yeah. Great. Um, Nikki, how did you end up where you are? Sure. So I um, obviously I'm attending college at San Mateo and I'm going to be a bit honest with y'all and kind of be open about some of the, my circumstances. And so during high school, um, I always wanted to, you know, I was always instilled like, oh, you know, you should always do high school, get the best grades you can, and then go through uh, into it directly into a four-year university. And to be honest with you, it just didn't work out. Um, I did the best I could, but honestly, I was, well, I didn't do the best I could. I could have done a lot better. I was sometimes lazy and complacent. I wasn't the most organized and efficient person that I could be. And as a result, I didn't get the grades I wanted. I mean, I did all right, all right, but I knew they wouldn't be grades that I was proud of. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to uh, go to any sort of reputable university with them. Um, and in addition, I knew that my living skills and uh, other skills needed some improvement. So my family and I decided that it'd be better if I went to community college and did the two-year transfer program and to go into the UC system. And I actually do not regret that decision at all. I think it's a great decision, especially because of the coronavirus pandemic. I probably saved a lot of money because of this, uh, because of not going to uh, state or UC school, because the D the rehab department does pay for the community college experience. And also, I honestly do not see any difference right now between the schools, just because of the fact that it's, you're just sitting in your house right now. Obviously, that'll change later. Um, and also, I think it's better anyway that you get your general education courses done at the community college. And then when you go over to the university, you focus on your major requirements. Um, because honestly, the thing that I've kind of found out is in many cases, the gen eds don't vary that much. And it obviously is for your undergraduate in between the state school, the community college, UC system, et cetera. And so in the end, I really, really don't regret my decision-making here. And I think this has given me time to sort of reset and I've actually you know for the last year or so that I've been in the college system I've gotten all A's I've done really well I'm proud of myself but I also know there's always room for growth and I hope that my time finishing on my community college and transferring hopefully to UC <laughs> will uh, result in more growth for myself but yeah yeah it, you're definitely right that a lot of people think of you know you go straight from high school and you go your goal is to go to a university and uh, mm -hmm. they look over the opportunity of community college 
Um, that's where I started as well. And I, I, I also have zero regrets about my decision to do so. Um, I thought it was a great stepping stone between high school and university. And like Nikki, I kind of didn't always put all my effort into high school. So <laughs> it was very much the same thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely a great path as well. There's, there's really no wrong path to go into college. Mm-hmm. Not at all. No, They're college is college, choices. my friends. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever choice works for you is the best choice. Yeah. Yes. Very well said. Well, thank you everyone for sharing, you know, your thank different you. stories and how, you know, you got to where you are and how things are going for you now. Um, all of us are going through this together. Um, we're all, you know, figuring out the online classes and looking forward to our eventual return to in person. Um, and I'm glad it looks like we're all on a path to success. Um, so thanks again. And Thank uh, we will see everyone in the next episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>